the thing is for us, there's so many different things you can measure. You know, you've got Google Analytics and it's basically a catch-all bucket that just catches everything. We gather all this amazing data and then we go, okay, we've got all this data. What do we do with it now? So that's one aspect of it is this, you've got so much information coming into that you want to analyze. But then the other side of it is that we have a front door, which is an APNIC login. And this front door allows people in. And those people that come in, that register, that go through the hurdle of getting in, they have a certain value. They are actually engaging in the community compared to maybe one that's that's mostly reading, which is still valuable, but in a different way. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by AP Nick discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, we're talking to Andre Heldeblom from APNIC Product Development. Andre and his team have been working on a new email forum and mail list archiving service for APNIC called Orbit. We're discussing how software developers measure user engagement and product satisfaction in this kind of web application. Andre, hello and welcome to Ping. Hi, George. Uh, thanks for inviting me to Pink. It's my first time here, so uh, I'm quite excited. So I'm going to give a little background about APNIC before we go into a conversation. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So I typically think about APNIC as if we were an ordinary small to medium enterprise like any other member that could join APNIC because we have around 100, is it up maybe to 120 staff now? Yeah, I think we've definitely grown a little bit over the last couple of years. And we've got a product development group, and it's three teams, and each of them has a product manager and a tech lead and scrum master. Sometimes those roles combine because we're doing agile product development. That's right. So we're sharing a web design and a UX team across those product teams, but the products that we make, they have to go into a web platform, a common web platform we're operating, and some of those are externally facing. And from memory, that's primarily the burden you have. You deal with the products that relate to member resource management, member login, and there's also a suite of products that are used internally by staff for normal processes, registry software, basically. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's that explains it pretty well. Uh, you know, in the membership team, anything to, that touches member-related administrative tasks, we do, uh, and we also kind of, which you'll get to later on, I guess, in here. It's about orbit. Is we'll also do products that help the community as a whole, sort of, you know, development type products. Because if you imagined us as an SME with a target market of client, we have a direct membership of ten thousand or so members that hold internet resources, and there's another fourteen thousand that are indirect members through national internet registry. But we also service the community at large, so we have a far larger footprint than just the direct membership, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We did a migration about a year ago of all the users that interact with us at all different types of levels, and it was well over uh, 60, 70,000. So, yeah, there's a very large community of people interacting with us. Right. And it's basically anyone who's interested in governance of the internet number framework, and they could be part of our community of interest using our mailing lists and our discussion groups. That's right. Yeah. So, we embarked 
on this activity to reconsider how we did public engagement through mailing lists. We've been running them for over 20 years, and we've used a variety of software systems to do that. We were using Mailman for years and years, and we had a homebrew web interface. We ran into that. But the primary vehicle for engagement was essentially email, wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. It's always been email, and it's an old school thing where the way the internet was built was through the mailing systems. So I think that's just how everyone kind of grew up in this this ecosystem. We've got quite a strong expectation in the wider community of the, if it isn't broke, don't fix it behavior. And also they're kind of glued to legacy behavior, which means when we're talking about making a change to how we manage that communication, we had a quite strong drive that we have to make email continue to work as a primary mechanism. Yeah, we all have this grand idea, especially uh, since social media has taken off over the last couple of years. You know, we've got this idea of an improved social interaction uh, for our members and for the community as a whole. However, we've also got this, I wouldn't say legacy, but we've got this rich, ongoing community of people that interact via email. And so we, as much as wanted to have something that was again, for the younger generation, perhaps, or for the newer generation, more web-based social interaction, we couldn't neglect the very valuable input from the members that are already on the mailing list. So it was quite a challenge finding something or, or looking for something that was able to sort of bring those two worlds together. The context here is we're doing software deployment, we're using agile product development, we're trying to look at bringing a new cohort of people into engagement with respect for an older technique, methodologies using classic email. The third piece of the pie is that the EC, the APNIC Executive Council, has had a really strong drive for measured outcomes. And, you know, I think that makes sense for any SME. You're answerable to somebody. We're answerable to the EC and the wider community and members. And so there's a value for money idea here. Can we actually demonstrate our investment in product development delivers value for money. That's correct, yeah. I mean, we have to ensure that the the money we use uh, is spent wisely and has a benefit to the community as a whole. So we've got to ensure there's a way for us to track that and make sure that people understand that we're not sort of wasting the money and, and we are doing the right thing, that there's value in what we do, at least. Well, here we are. We're on Ping. Ping's about measurement in the internet. We're in a small to medium enterprise in the internet, doing web services in the internet, looking at measurement of our internet product. I think it feels like a good fit. This is kind of like dog fooding. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know that phrase, dog fooding is when you consume your own products to see how they, you would experience them as a user. So here we are consuming our mechanism for measurement and discussing measurement on the podcast we run for measurement. Andre, why? Are we measuring Orbit? Right. Well, uh, Orbit uh, is a reasonably new initiative from APNIC. We've always had a mailing list, and Orbit is kind of opening up that mailing list to the web. And the hypothesis is that by doing that, we will engage with a much broader audience. Uh, and that will allow us to broaden the community and uh, educate more people about the way we work and the way the internet works as a whole. And generally, that brings in a lot more hopefully younger people to contribute towards policymaking, et cetera. So that's that's the idea of Orbit. But just because we have that great idea, we have to make sure that, you know, when we do do something like this, uh, we'll be investing a lot of time and effort. So we want to ensure that 
that time and effort is paying off. And in order to do that, we have to figure out how do we measure the success of this thing. So the main reason we want to measure here is one is ensure that the money we're spending for our members and community is spent well. And on the other side, make sure that what we're building can actually deliver value to the people that we're building it for. It doesn't help having a, a system out there that we think is doing great. If you get lots of emails, but you know, honestly, it's not delivering the value that we thought. So we have to figure out how do we measure that value. Um, so those are the two main components. Yeah. And there's kind of a subsidiary component, which is that if we have an ongoing measurement exercise, we get qualitative measures of performance of the system so we can think about systems engineering aspects. And we can also measure things that go to systems design. We can pick up on things that people do use and don't use. So apart from simply giving a, a general answer, we think it's value for money because we can also say there are some things here maybe we could improve on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the challenge here is, you know, um, how do you measure all these different things and knowing what to measure? So, yeah, absolutely. So that question, knowing what to measure, we are essentially talking about the web here. We're talking about the classic behavior of using a web product and measuring activity where people are coming to the web. And that means we're looking at website analysis at the root, aren't we? Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, the thing is for us, there's so many different things you can measure. You know, you've got Google Analytics and it's basically a catch-all bucket that just catches everything. We gather all this amazing data and then we go, okay, we've got all this data. What do we do with it now? So that's, that's one aspect of it is this, you've got so much information coming into that you want to analyze. But then the other side of it is that we have a front door, which is an APNIC login. And this front door allows people in. And those people that come in, that register, that go through the hurdle of getting in, they have a certain value. They are actually engaging in the community compared to maybe one that's, that's mostly reading, which is still valuable, but in a different way. We can draw distinctions between different categories of users because Correct. we can leverage information like the login state. Yeah, exactly. And then, especially with Orbit, there's, a, there's another aspect to it, which is because we're using a legacy emailing system, these people don't ever touch the web. It's purely email. So it's only a mail client that's interacting with the mailman system. However, the emails that are coming in by mail are viewable and you can interact with them via orbit so there's these distinct pieces of measurement that we have to figure out how to measure across those that make sense so in a classic website measurement exercise there are two things we reach for because they're in the standard bucket that people go to they're nps and satisfaction nps net promoter score that's when you directly ask people using your systems would you recommend this to somebody else are we doing that model of measurement in orbit at this stage? So, yes and no. <laughs> uh, the answer there is orbit as a as pretty much a, a baby still. We launched it as a MVP, I think it was October last year, so it's really only been up for a few months. We are highly aware of how many amazing features are still lacking in it. So, as an MVP, we realize that if we do do MPS scores and if we do do usability type scores, we already know that the value is going to be reasonably low in certain places. Right. Yeah. We, we do not so much test for net promoter yet. However, it's definitely something that we need later on once we feel that the product has moved out of that minimal viable product stage into more, yes, this is validated now and, and ready to go forward. And then we can figure out, will people actually promote it? So 
what we're doing is just very small sample testing rather than actually relying on that as the a huge signal as to which direction we're going into. It's an interesting problem because when I was working in product development, which I did for a couple of years before moving into this communications role, we were finding that the rate of return on an NPS model was really very low set against the rate of use. And so I still have some questions in my mind about whether we've got above a statistically valid threshold for that. So if you set that against small samples, doing a focused sample group, it has risks of bias all of its own. But I kind of felt comfortable that the UX group had put some boundaries around acceptability there. I imagine you're going to a similar place. This is going to be classic UX that is dealt with by our web and UX group. You're actually looking at a different level of measurement, reflecting on things at a lower level, but constructing some sense of engagement higher up from this. Yeah, I mean, we use a combination of scores, uh, the customer effort scores, one of the ones that we like to use. We use NPS a little bit, and we just generally do pop-up surveys and just ask questions. We're really just doing a lot of different measurements to work out an overall feel for the product. So with the effort score, we might release a new feature and just ensure that that new feature hasn't reduced the amount of effort that is required for a user to complete their task. So in other words, it's got to exceed it. So we generally do that on a, on a feature-by-feature basis. And as I said, with the NPS score, we're not probably not quite there yet. It also does have a huge problem with just false positives and, and spam and all that kind of stuff. So we'll be really careful with that. The underlying software suite that we're using here is HyperKitty, isn't it? Yeah, we've used a new system called Mailman 3, which is a suite of products consists of the core mailman uh, sort of mail client that consists of an administrative web interface called PostOrients. And then it's got another web interface, which is more of an archiving engine called HyperKitty. So it's the archiving engine that we've taken, which is a, a really good, completely overhauled web front end that basically looks at the archive of emails uh, on the system and presents them in a way that users can interact with them. We've taken that and then reskinned it and added in additional features that allow people to see the archiving engine rather as a catalog of archives, but more see it as a community of interacting and, and engaging with. So we've added in features where you have a news feed, which doesn't have existed before. We've added in features where you can post back online. Right. Um, and these are constantly improving. So. If we imagine it was a deployment exercise and we just deployed HyperKitty as is, to some extent, our measurement burden would be quite low because that's an operational deploy run, is it up question. But we've gone to benefit to community and we've added features. So are you looking at measuring use of the feature set added? You're looking yeah. at ways to go into web logs and follow usage patterns to yeah. see people use it to reply. Yeah, so it's what's nice about this is it's got two separate databases, and these databases track various aspects of this. So the mailman itself basically just tracks how many emails get sent to it. And so we can count all the emails that get sent there 
and any unique email is generated as a new user in the system. So we can count users, and that's one way that we look at the mailman system and count users. And if we consider a measurement burden in the wide about public communication, that actually means we're in a position to use this system to measure engagement in email, which is useful because we should probably show some accounting for participation in our discussion lists and policy lists and working group lists. And we can do that for all existing mail users. Yep, absolutely. And so that's the mail side of it. And then there's a separate database that tracks the web, which is the, the HyperKitty side of it. So what that'll then do is it can track the number of posts to the mailman system. So we can track each user and how many posts that they have posted. And we can measure the post growth over time as well as the threads over time. So that's one metric we're using to, to sort of measure engagement, you know, if there's growth. We do have some lists that are basically just announcement lists. There's a BGP stats list that just every day sends out the information about BGP stats. So we do filter for those type of lists to make sure that we measure in the correct thing and that the, the measurements make sense. And then the third aspect of this is the kind of the user that comes in from the APNIC login. So this is the user that engages on the web. So you might get a thousand users through Mailman, but through the web, of those thousand, only 200 of them actually logged into the web and engaged because they don't have to. They can engage via the, their mail client. They don't need to go to the web. So our measurements have got to be aware of that difference and count that difference. So if we really want to measure the success of Orbit, That's a web-based measurement of people visiting Orbit, which Orbit is a window into the archive of all the emails. Right. So that's where it gets a little bit fuzzy, but we are clearly defining what these measurements are for ourselves. So if we think about the additional feature set, things like search or hot topics or reply in thread, those are the value-add parts. Those are the things where you have to make software investment to develop something. And so tracking participation and engagement in the active sense is probably quite strong there. Or for the passive player who just happens to like a web-based view, if they use the mechanisms like new, noteworthy, current, top 10 posting, top 10 topic, those kinds of things, if they click through them, that's an indication of value, isn't it? Because it means the investment designing the system paid back in terms of demonstrated use. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you've got the growth of the of the users and then you've got the users coming back and measuring how often they use it. And then we also measure how long they might stay on the page and which pages they're visiting and which lists are the ones that they visit the most. And then we add in events. Now, events are the things you've got to worry about, or not worry about, but you've got to kind of, you know, there's a bit of trial and error with events. So we try and measure what events people are doing the most and then we try and figure out why they might be doing those events because sometimes they're doing an event because we designed it wrong and they're going a long way around right rather than we designed it right so you can't simplistically say yippee they're using the search feature it must have been a good investment Mm -hmm. there's the potential that what it actually says is oh dear they're having to use the search feature because the thread view doesn't give them what they need correct uh, we found one thing like that where our back button, once you look at a post, the, there was two ways to get back, and they constantly kept using the wrong one. Well, now in our way, it was the wrong one. They would go back to the archive by month rather than just back to the list. And we were wondering why so many people use that. Was it like just what people wanted to do? And we realized, no, we designed the position of it incorrectly. So that was valuable feedback, you know, and we understood that through the behavior of measuring those type of events. 
So it feels like the measurement exercise, first of all, it's not a transitional thing. This is a long-term commitment. We're going to be doing this for the life of running the system. Yeah, and I think uh, what's nice about that, in this particular case, we use things like Google Analytics, right, which are really, really powerful and give us a lot of -of out-of-the-box sort of controls to do this. And all we've got to do is figure out where to apply them. And that's just ongoing. Once you set it up, there's a few tweaking here and there and a constant back and forth. And the hardest part is that that setting it up for the first and then the, the tweaking for the months after that. That's probably the hardest part. But the second thing that we're doing is that we're actually using the analytics and measurement as a tool to do product improvement. We're using it to get finer grained sensors of design issues. Do we do A-B testing or is it not possible to do dual release? Uh, no, not in this one. This is a little bit, and it's way too early in that stage. We, we haven't really got an, a need at this stage for it. And yeah, our deployment probably wouldn't support it this early in the game. So we don't do A-B testing. I think the thing about measurements is there's not just one. You know, you can't just put Google Analytics in and go, okay, that's it. It's going to measure everything. It does measure a lot, but we use Google Analytics. Then we use things like Hotjar, which gives us some ease of use type tools. And then we do raw analytics on the logs, which are through the database, you know. So it's a combination of all of that as well as user research that helps us verify and validate that this thing is actually working over time. Right. That's quite a lot of information processing going on at the back. Yes, and uh, a reasonable amount of manual work initially to set it up. But once you've got your plan and once the tools are in place and the systems have got all the tracking in place, then it's really just coming in once a month or however often your your cadences and looking at it and tweaking it and then analyzing it and then looking at it. So it does it does sound like a lot of work and it is a, quite a lot of work to set it up. But once it's set up, it kind of runs itself and really all you're doing then is, you know, changing a little bit here and there to try and measure a specific task or a specific feature that you want. So that's basically how we do it. I suspect that this is the first product we've released that we were able to do integration of measurement pretty much at launch. Quite a lot of the other activity, we inherited older software systems where to some extent measurement was an afterthought. Yeah, and you know, Mailman has been around for a long time, Mailman, Mailman 2, and this is now Mailman 3. And I think it's, it's also an open source product which we are building on top of and then would like to contribute back to the open source community as soon as we can. But what's nice about that, I guess, is it's not quite using an off-the-shelf system, but it's using an open source system. It's well thought out by the community. It's mature, so it's been well tested. And they've, they've built in a fair amount of metrics that we are able to just leverage. Now, we already know additional stuff we would like to add in, which we will be able to do over time, but it's given us a really good head start. So absolutely, and I think that's a lesson in all the products that we build, is to try and always know what you want to build over time. It's not what you want to measure over time. It's not always possible to see that up front, but you should have a basic understanding of it at least. I'm tempted to say we won't necessarily declare success in a hurry because the fact that there's a high quality interface in mail is likely to be attractive to people over time. And it's not impossible that we'll get early adoption of use of orbit, but then a longer term migration back to a mail system. And I could see that as being okay. Archives are kind of funny. I My engagement with mail archives is often, oh, I didn't keep a local copy. 
And so it's one of those must-have things. I'm not a frequent user of the email archive view, but let's say I'm at the point where I want to share something with someone. My primary engagement was the mail client, but sharing a link is just so much more efficient than sharing the entire thing as a forwarded message. If I can go into an archive, find a thread, click on the base of the thread and pass a link to that to somebody else, that's immensely valuable to me. And I begin to see that in a system like Orbit, that might become the primary use I have of it. Yeah, and I think, again, I'm, I'm probably calling you old school. For the old school users, I think that's exactly how they will use it. But you, you've also got to think of in terms of the way probably Reddit is at the moment, that it will mature into a very useful and usable web interface that you can quickly find what you need when you need it other also it aggregates a lot of the mailing lists that you belong to as well as the general open source uh, mailing list into a nice news feed again similar to twitter or, or um right so you can all or reddit where you can always see what's happening at this current time and so those features might draw you a little bit towards it. not saying you would use it 100 percent of the time but it may improve or encourage you to engage with it further but I think for us, you know, we want Orbit and we need to measure what, what the success of Orbit is to the community as a whole, um, you know, that it's useful and valuable and, and does give value to the community. And it's not just simply an archiver, which in itself is valuable, but it's, not, it, it's got more usage than that. So we, we might actually wind up doing things like focus group work where we ask people who participate in policy development did you use Orbit in thinking and forming your opinions towards your position in this policy? Yeah, I think that would be something we could de- absolutely do. As we go through the conferences, we we tend to you know, hijack some people and grab them and ask them a little bit about how they use Orbit, whether they would use Orbit, so we can keep learning constantly about how we would be able to improve and what, what features would be useful to them. You know, as you said to yourself, you, you probably wouldn't use Orbit unless you needed to find an old archive email or need, uh, needed to send a link to someone. But if we can show that there are potential other uses, then that might encourage you to use it. Well, I've already realized that there are discussion lists in APNIC that I'm interested in, but I don't want to take the burden of a committed view in my mail. And so grazing into lists, I think Orbit's going to be quite useful for me. I suspect I will show up in the stats as a particular class of user. I'll tend to be read-only. And I'll tend to be using a small family of things to find specific lists, find a thread, and then refer to the thread to somebody else, which in turn might mean that you see signs of organic growth of the passive reading, because I wouldn't expect the people I give the links to to actively engage. Of course, they might, but the general trend will be that they're looking back at things saying, yes, that was interesting. I might show up in a particular way. But you think about people who are doing, say, training at APNIC, I get the impression they're looking at Orbit as a platform for self-support and engagement after training courses, and they're going to be much more dynamic and engaged and to and fro through using this framework. Yeah, absolutely. And and other lists we found is, is uh, the foundation has quite a few lists. Our fellowship group, some of their lists, some of their users are very um, active on the lists. They seem to enjoy the open, easy search and easy finds without having to go through their mail client. I must admit that yeah, searching through Microsoft Outlook is a nightmare for me. But a lot of people, they are starting to see the value of Orbit. 
and using it, especially the younger generation, because it's probably what they, they're used to using at the moment. So it's nice to see that. And we are learning from them how to improve it you know, constantly, all the time. They'll post straight back onto Orbit. We have a list on Orbit where we collect feedback and people give us feedback and we put them in as opportunities and work on those as soon as we can. Yeah, it's an ongoing sort of learning and growing. I should probably say at this point that what we're talking about here in measurement in no sense is measuring the user's performance or trying to assess them for value. And we're under a strict NDA. Nothing people say in a mailing list in this framework is something we're in the business of exposing. This is about efficiency and value for money of the software development exercise in the platform. It's not about measuring the community. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andre, where next do you think this is going to go? You said that it's MVP stage. Do you have a plan for a next set of improvements? We do. We have a roadmap. You can you can reach it at uh, roadmap.apnic.net, and there's a bunch of products on there. Which one of them is Orbit? Uh, you can filter by Orbit. There's a couple of things on that roadmap that we already know we want to do. And as we uncover more, we will figure out the priority and sort of keep adding them to that public roadmap. So for now, mostly what it is, is just improving the way you interact with it. And as you said, you know, you're comfortable in your mail client. We've got to make it more comfortable on the web for you to engage. So typing a new email or replying to a post, it should be as easy as possible. Now, it's not difficult at the moment, but the markdown is could be better. The WYSIWYG editor that you actually type into can be a lot better. So just making that experience a lot more seamless so that it's uh, easy for you to contribute when when you want to. And the value for money proposition to the EC is probably going to be the constant reporting, quarterly reporting on numbers of users, rate of growth rate of engagement, use of reply features to demonstrate that it's an interactive tool, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the value to the community as well as to APNIC is things like the Academy and things like the Foundation and and lots of new lists that we're creating that would never have created a list before because they never had the web side of it, right? They never had the engagement side on. So what would happen is with Academy is you'd finish a course and then they would create a wiki page and you'd go to the wiki page, but then the wiki page never had an index, never have a home. And so after a few months, you'd lose it and there was no engagement and then you'd kind of move on with your life. Whereas they've now got a place where new students can come and ask questions about, you know, what's this course about? And then once the course is complete or while the course is going on, students can, can interact with one another and talk about it. And then once it's finished, they can continue that conversation. You know, that could have been done in a mailing list, but it never really was and it didn't feel the, like the right place. It was done in a wiki for a while. And so now Orbit is, is a much better place to do this. And it's a lot of value there. To some extent, the length of the tail, the extent of conversation and the length of the tail conversation is going to become a measurement tool against delivery of service in the wide. If we integrate use of Orbit as part of the life cycle of using things like Academy, measurement in orbit very naturally becomes measurement for that specific context yeah absolutely and and i think there's one more sometimes this one's a bit harder to measure or a bit harder to to understand an archiving engine in general before orbit what we had was a mailman archive and it's just your normal interface and there was almost zero interaction on archive so people don't really think to go on an archive but what is in the archive that's massively valuable is just a history of information as the web grew up. So where did IPv6 come from? What were the discussions about? Where's policy one, two, three come from? You know, whatever. It's like that stuff exists. Nobody sees it. It's hidden. 
So as more people engage through the archive orbit, those things will start emerging more. And I think there'll be a lot more interest and a lot more engagement. Now, I don't think that's a double-edged source because those things, they are closed lists, they're private lists. So the open lists are available, but there's a rich set of historical data there and value that I think sometimes can be missed. Something I picked up on from talking with people in the policy development space is they're actually really, really concerned to make sure the URLs they might have kept to reach those historical posts remain constant. And so I think the likelihood is that there'll be forward discussion in orbit referring back to old links to old posts. And it's kind of lovely that the same framework that people will use in present time to talk about things is going to be able to reach back into deep time to see the things that are the foundational qualities. I suspect that may yet become another thing we measure, how much do people refer to deep time backlinks in current conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Andre, this has been fascinating. I think it's a really interesting investment, and I think it bodes quite well for the future. The potential to unpack things that are somewhat difficult for us, you know, oh, we don't have as much use as we expected. It's always latent in a measurement exercise like this. But the thing is, if you don't go and ask the questions, you really can't know. Absolutely. And, and you know, it brings us, hopefully, brings us a lot of joy uh, to actually see this thing growing from a, a, a little baby into something useful and our community contributing back and saying, you know, this is, this is really helpful. We really enjoy it. We've seen a lot of this on, on some of the private lists in foundation where they absolutely love it. So it's really, it's really pleasing to see that the thing that we thought would work is actually working. Yeah. And our measurements are backing that up. And so it's continuing that path. I don't want the measurement to become the driving force. There's a quality that if you make the measurement a goal in itself, you actually, to some extent, miss the point. The measurement isn't the goal. The community engagement is the goal. And the outcome of policy development and understanding is the goal. But if you don't measure it, you can't know. Exactly. So I think it's one of those double-edged things. We need this, but it's not an end in itself. It's purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Andre. That was fascinating. And if there's more developments here or an interesting measurement story that emerges, I'd love to have you back on Ping to talk about that again. Thank you, George. Uh, it was it was really nice to do this. So. I'll be more than happy to join whenever there's something else to talk about. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at apnic.net or via the APNIC social media channels. Also, remember the measurement at apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time, 